0: The Lord is my shepherd. These five simple words set up a perspective of what it means to understand who God is and what he is like. The Lord is my shepherd. And if you were here last week, what was it that we learned? What is it that we learned about the Lord being our shepherd? Well, we learned this, that our God not only cares for us, but he is first and foremost The Lord, the Lord being Yahweh, the covenantal name of a covenantal God who promises to take care of his people and reveals himself to be full of love, full of compassion, patience, faithful, and full of forgiveness. What we didn't talk about was the journey that is often required for someone to believe with all their heart, mind, and soul that the Lord is their shepherd. We didn't really dive into that. This Psalm 23 is often referred to as a psalm of confidence, like a declaration of confidence of who God is and what He can do. And it's a psalm that invites us to embrace God for all that He is, But it's set in the middle of a time when maybe many Bible scholars believe that David, the writer of this psalm, David, if you're not familiar with David, he was uh, otherwise known as King David. He was also known as David and Goliath, the David from the David and Goliath. He was that guy. This psalm was set in the middle of a time of David's life where he was caught in the middle of a wilderness hiding from his son Absalom who is trying to steal the throne from him And if any of you've ever been a parent of a teenager right and you know the you know the pain of seeing your young one try to go away that you know is not good for them right and you're the enemy of everything that they're trying to accomplish here David is running from his life because his son has not only meant made him the enemy, but has made him the one in, in front of the very thing he's trying to get after. So he's Absalom and all of his men are trying to kill him. And so what we find here is that David is in a place of extreme anguish, extreme, extreme trub, uh, trouble and turmoil. In fact, it's often said that a person who wants to become A Psalm 23 kind of person must first take the journey of experiencing a Psalm 22 life. This is the kind of life where you find yourself saying things like this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Has anyone ever felt like that? Has anyone ever felt like God is so far and you've been crying and you've been asking and nothing, it just seems to, like all you hear is just your, your groanings. My God, I cry by day, but do you not answer by night? Yet I have no rest. Of course, some of you who might be, you know, uh, what they call uh armchair theologians or... <laughs> Uh, you know, hobbyist theologians by day, you, you're already putting two and two together. You you remember something that Jesus said, don't you? There's something Jesus said when he was nailed on that cross. Do you remember the thing that Jesus said? It sounds a lot like this. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 27, 46? About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamem sabachthani, which is what? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, there are many reasons why Jesus would be caught quoting this psalm 22. But the one apparent reason Jesus cries out this in the middle of his suffering is to remind the devout Jew who would have heard this, who would have heard this enemy of the Jews yelling out the word of the Lord. They would have known this. They would have known Psalm 22. And they would have heard this. And they, the, 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 the Jew who was more than familiar with Psalm 22, Jesus said this out loud for them so that they could have the kind of faith that allows someone to say from the depths of their heart, the Lord is my shepherd, but yet at the same time feel like the Lord is so far from them. Because I know sometimes when we think about like this idea of saying like the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need, I shall not want. Like, how can you say that with integrity, but yet feel as if the God is so far away? Jesus demonstrates for us there was no other point in the history of mankind where God the Father seemed to be out of control and seemed to be the farthest from Jesus. Even Jesus Himself felt it, but we know because we're on the other side of the cross that in fact God was not only in control but he knew what he was doing and his plan was perfect and his plan was good and his plan was good news jesus knew that in order for people to be the kind of people who say the lord is my shepherd from the depths of their hearts and not just reciting a psalm that they've heard or grew up with in order for us to feel it, sometimes we have to live the kind of life that requires us to first cry out, God, I need you so much. My question for you this morning was is 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 this was, I guess, from Future Phil coming back from my time machine. My question for you this morning is this, when was the last time you were honest about your need for God? I get it, some of you might feel like you're not in a season where like, I really don't need God, or feel like I don't need God. Well, first of all, I would probably say, maybe you have become God, or something in your life has become God enough to make you not realize your need of God. Just putting that out there. But maybe for some of you, you're so overwhelmed by life that you just don't even have the energy to go, oh God, I need you. You're so busy trying to cope. Like when was the last time you cried out to God in your darkest moment as David did in Psalm 22, don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Have you ever felt that way? Or verse 14, he goes, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax, melting within me. Or maybe you've said this, but you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly and help me. Or maybe maybe you need to say something like this, for he has not despised or abhorred the torment Of the oppressed, he did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I believe the reason why a person can actually say from their hearts of hearts and know and understand and mean what it's, what it, what it means to say, the Lord is my shepherd is because they first have declared that the Lord is all that I need. This is what David meant when he wrote in Psalm 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I have what I need. Now, some of you grew up King James Version or New King James Version, right? It's the Lord is my shepherd, what I shall not want, right? That's what we're really familiar with. Which one is it? One's put in the negative, one's put in the positive. Is this just like the new way to put the spin on it? Well, in the original language, it literally is these two words. It's the word no, and then it's the Hebrew word for lacking, so it literally says it, it's the word Haser, which means to lack, to suffer want. So that's the second word. So no haser, no haser, which is a very simple but yet profound truth that Psalm twenty three reveals, and it's this, this is it the Lord becomes all a person wants when they realize that the Lord is all they need. The Lord becomes all a person wants when they realize that the Lord is all they need. When you have the Lord as your shepherd, you realize that all that you want, you have. When the Lord is your shepherd. This is not a verse about God giving us all that we think we need. I just should put that out there. You know some, of them, some people like to look at this verse and go, Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want sweet, I'm going to make Jesus my shepherd, make the Lord my shepherd, and then everything I want, I'm not going to want it because the Bible says I'm not going to want. And I just want to warn you, don't get tempted to get caught up in the slick yet profoundly heretical thinking that God is some kind of cosmic vending machine who exists to kind of give you whatever you need at the right moment. If you do this and you do that, if you put the right change in, Hit the right number, E3, whatever it is. We know this is true because David tells us the kind of life a person who lives as the Lord, as their shepherd lives. We know this is true. We know that God is not this some cosmic bending machine. We know that Lord is our shepherd and, and, and not having any need doesn't mean this idea that we can get whatever we want. Because we see what David says next. Instead of saying the Lord is my shepherd, he gives me what I want. That's not what he says doesn't say the Lord is my shepherd and he gives me what I want. David said the Lord is my shepherd. I, 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 I don't lack and then he says this he leads me. He leads me. Right? He leads me. What does he lead him specifically? Still waters to green pastures. In other words he, he leads us to where, where we really need to be. The same word, Nahal, describes how David led, how David was led to green pastures, and he was led to quiet waters. It's the same word. You know, when, it, when we read, it says, he, you know, he, he leads me beside, he lied me down in green pastures. That word for lie me down is just an interpretation because of the context of the words. But it literally is the same word. He leads me by the still waters, and then he, he makes me lie down. It's the same word, Nahal. And so the 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 uh the the, the psalmist David is literally saying the, the greatest function of how the Lord is my shepherd is now allowing him to lead my life. It's not me saying, Lord, be my shepherd. Okay, now give me, give me, give me what I want. Give me what I want. It's the Lord is my shepherd. And so, Lord, you take control. Spirit lead me. What was <laughs> he saying today? Spirit lead me. Of course, this poetic use of green pastures and quiet waters speaks of something Jesus would teach his disciples about. Some of you remember in Matthew chapter six, verse 25, Jesus says this, "Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat. Green pastures, What you will drink besides still waters. Or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. (laughs) Aren't you worth more than they? The answer is yes. it's rhetorical. And then he says this. (laughs) Can any of you, at one moment to your lifespan by worrying? And the answer is what? No. And so he goes on to say in verse 31, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things. Not all things. All these things. What things? What you need. Will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Listen. Even if you're someone who doesn't believe everything you've heard about Jesus or, or the Bible, there is something simply profound about what, about what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter six that no one can deny. Like you you don't have to be a Bible person to say what Jesus says is true. One, we all have worries. Who doesn't have worries at all? Like never has a worry. Where are you at? Because you are an NPC, if you don't, like I'm calling you out right now. You got no worries. You're not alive. You're controlled by the Matrix. Um, Okay, so we have no. We all have worries, right? We all have worries. Two, we all want to believe that it's on our shoulders to provide what we need. Like, not only do we worry, we feel like we got to get it, and we got to we got to make things happen, right? And then, as much as there is to worry about tomorrow. Each day has its enough trouble of its own. Like, we all know that. Like, when you think, like some of you deal, maybe just by your personality, you deal a little bit more with anxiety. And even you who deal with anxiety, you know that there is some things in tomorrow that you're, you have anxiousness about. But if you're honest with yourself, you know that today has enough trouble of its own. And that, In fact, actually, if you were to be honest with yourself, it's a little easier to worry about tomorrow Because the idea of thinking about today has such like immediate ramifications that it's just easier to think about, like, let me worry about tomorrow because I have have a little bit more time to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. And if I worry about what's happening today, I'll fail. I won't do the right thing. I'll be a failure. And then it'll lead me into failure the next day. So I'll, I'll just think about tomorrow. It'll be a little bit easier than actually thinking about today. And some of you, you, you know people like that, right? They're just thinking about tomorrow, just thinking about what they're going to do. They're, just, they're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. But yet what? Like, bro, you're worried about getting married or having kids and like, get a job. Like right now, right? You know, like, you know, or, or just, you know, like those type of things. And you're like, you're so focused on tomorrow. These are the things that we all know. Like you don't even have to, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't even have to read the Bible to know that what Jesus is saying is true. This is what we all understand. And I think this points, I think this points to a truth that we all know. That we all know. Whether we want to admit it or not. And it's this. And if you don't like the word temptation, well put your other word in there. But this is what I have in my notes and I can't change the slide. And so here's the point. The great temptation in this life is discontentment. The great temptation in this life is to Want something that we don't yet have, right? And when I when I walked in here this morning, I was like, "Woo! I want an air conditioned room to gather with my <laughs> brothers and sisters." I want what I already don't have. Like I'm discontent, and we all know this. Both Christians and non Christians alike understand what it's like to struggle. With discontent. Am I talking to a a wall here? Does anyone know what I'm saying, right? Do do you struggle? Isn't that a struggle? To find yourself like completely content. Are you completely content at all times? Probably not. And what's beautiful about Jesus. And why he came to this earth. And why we're reading the 23rd Psalm. Is is because of this. Is because of this. Jesus... Says to you, he says to me, in a life full of discontentment, he says, Look at me, look at me. I am the solution to your discontentment, to your discontent. And this is, that might seem obvious if you're like a church person. But let me just show you how groundbreaking that is, how how paradigm shifting it is, and and you might not even know this because some of you might have both this mentality of like yes Jesus is all I need, but then you might also fully embrace the mentality that this world desperately wants us to believe. The world wants to tell us. I mean, if you do just do a simple Google search, right? Because Google's supposed to it's supposed to give you the the best answer of the answers found on the interwebs, right? Supposedly, supposedly, supposedly. I'm not saying it's true, but right, it's supposed to. That's why all of you, when you get in an argument about like some facts, you're like, hold on a second. Hey Siri, (laughs) whatever. You you look and you do a simple search on Google on how to solve discontentment and it, it populates the internet's most reliable advice and you know what it tells you? Here's what it says. I'll just give you a few. Here's how you battle discontentment in your life. Start believing. You can change things. Discontent. Pick yourself up. Just yourself off. Start all over again. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. How about this? Take some positive action. Life is bad. Everything is bad. Well, counteract it with some positivity. Don't worry. Be happy, man. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Right? Don't worry. Don't worry. Be happy. That's what it tells you to do. Or how about this? I love this one. Exercise. Yeah, that's what I feel like doing. My life is terrible, so I'm going to go run. Okay. Terrible advice. That was number four. How about this one? Declutter. All the Type Ones and Type As are like, Amen, right? Yeah. Well, don't. That's no. That's it's not permission to say Amen. It doesn't solve discontentment. I promise you. You can Amen that all you want. What? 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 You. You clean up. Declutter. You clean up. You fix it. Seeing a little pattern here? How about this one? Here's the last one. If you're discontent, make the lives of other people better. Your life is, (laughs) you're not happy with life and you're just like, you know, unhappy and you're, here's what you do. You distract yourself by trying to make other people's lives happy. Oh, you feel like God's not in your life? Here's what you do. You go ahead and be God in other people's lives. In other words the current solution to a life of discontentment according to the world is found in what you can do for you. And if truth be told sometimes um we 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 come to church gatherings like these because we want a preacher to just go ahead and tell us what to do to make our lives better. Like at at the at the, at the core and I've done it. I'm like, I'm in a season of my life and I'm like, I'm going to go to church and Jesus, you better just tell me what to do. And I'm the preacher, just tell me what to do so I can make my life better. And we would be mistaken. And this is nothing new as far as advice for the discontentment that tempts our heart. The evil one played this game since the garden, didn't he? Didn't he tempt Eve? With the idea that God was holding out on her? Did he not tell her, hey, um, you know the thing about the tree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the tree. God said not to eat of it. <laughs> yeah, um, I know something you don't know. Pray tell. He's holding out on you. There's a better life for you. In fact, Eve, come here. You would be like God. All you have to do is you need to eat the fruit. The fruit? What? What? Yeah, the fruit that God said not to eat? Wait a minute. So so if I, if I do something, then I'll become something that I'm currently not Because I never realized this, but I'm not enough now. And that thing is better. Yeah, give me that fruit. Give me that fruit. And then once the seed of discontentment was sown, the evil one deceived Eve into believing she could be like God through the act of her own will, eating of the fruit of the tree that God said not to eat from. And from that moment on, mankind has fought the temptation to believe that we must not only become the Lord of our own lives, but that we must, like we must become the Lord of our, like we must be in control. And some of us, some of us have even been convinced that we are the Lord of our lives, that we are the master of our fate. If we believe it, we can achieve it. I believe I could fly. R. Kelly wrote that song. How did it work out for him? How is it working out for any of us? That have placed our trust in men, mankind, should be clear. Some of you are like, yeah, men suck. <laughs> No, I'm talking like mankind. Mankind. How's it going for those of us who have placed our trust in ourselves? I would say it's not too good. Okay, two weeks of really negative preaching. Phil, where are you going to? Is this all going to be all summer? I don't know yet. But I'm really having fun with this kind of style. So it might be the new me. I don't know. We'll see. But this is, what the, this is what the text says, doesn't it? The solution to a life of discontent is a life where we let the Lord lead our life. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. How to, like, what does that look like? He's leading me. <laughs> I want to go over there. Oh, oh, no, the shepherd says the green pasture over here. But what about, about that green pasture over there? <laughs> Those are thistleweeds, Phil. It looks green from over here, but my eyes are better than yours. Even she agrees, see? Yeah. We let God decide what pastures we need to graze in. We let God decide what waters we need to drink from. And here's the wonderful good news, because I do have some good news. I do have some good news to encourage you with. And here's the good news. When you allow God to lead your life, as Psalm 23 tells us, <clears throat> when you let him lead you, he restores you. He restores your life when you allow God to lead your life. You allow God to restore your life I like what one Bible scholar had to say in his commentary regarding this passage when he wrote this He says this the Lord renews them so that they feel that life in the presence of God is good and worth living Like don't you want to live a life that is good Like from your heart of hearts, don't you want to live the kind of life where you're saying it's, it's actually worth living? Like I'm getting up today and I am looking forward to today. Of course you do. We all do. And why is that? Because that is the life God originally created for us in the garden. We were actually all wired and created to want that Kind of life. Before sin entered the heart of mankind, we were living a truly good life. This is because our sense of meaning in life was rooted in the simplicity of just being with God and living day by day, led by God. That was it. They were with God, and then God said, why don't you go name some animals? Okay, God. Monkey, cat, dog. I don't know what that. I don't know. Oh, orangutan. Okay, orangutan. Oh, Let's call it orangutan. Whatever that is. Right. So this is what we're. Okay, God. Whatever you want. Okay, we're going to walk with you, and then we're going to listen to you. We're going to walk with you, and then you're going to you're going to tell us what to do. Sounds like a great deal. That's all we have to do? So when you allow God to lead your life, you allow God to restore your life. Restore it. Restore it to what? Back to what it was supposed to be. God's great plan of communion with Him and right relationship with others. One of the curse of sin. Remember the Lord looked at Looked at Adam and Eve and said, there'll be, there'll, there'll, there'll be basically schisms between you. And God wanted to restore things as it was in the beginning, where it was all good. But that's not all that happens. This may sound obvious, but it's worth recognizing that when you allow God to lead your life, you make the right choices for the right reasons. Like when you allow God to lead your life, you actually make Right choices, but not only just right choices, choices, choices. Oh my goodness. Choices, choices. Uh, I don't even know why I said that. You make right choices, not just because you want to do right things, but you do it for the right reasons. Psalm 23, 3. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths. It'd be, it'd be a great Psalm if that's where he stopped, but he doesn't. What does he say? He leads me along the right paths. What? For His name's sake. If you're not catching the grammar there and how that's all telling a story, it's basically this. When you allow God to be the shepherd of your life, you allow God to feed you through His Word, but you allow Him to let you live the kind of life that brings Him glory for His name's sake. You live your life in the right way, not so that you could receive glory, that you could be magnified, but so that at the end of the day, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as I said, you know, one of the things we need to understand is that one of the things... The way that God leads us in our lives is he feeds us through his word, right? This, of course, is a common reference to something Jesus said to Satan when he was being tempted. You remember? Satan tried to give him, uh, he said, here's a stone. Make this stone into bread if you really are God. And what did Jesus, what did he tell him? He said this. It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. As we would read later in Psalm 119, the scripture teaches us that this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. What kind of life does a person who is led by God through the word of God look like? Like, What does it look like to live the kind of life that's led by the word of God? Well, Psalm 23, 4 tells us. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. In other words, no matter what life throws your way, you can live without fear. And a life without fear is a life of contentment. Notice that it never says, though, even though I walk through the valley or the darkest valley... I will never go through danger. That's not what it says, does it? It says, I will never go through danger. That's not what it says. It says, I, what? Fear no danger. Why? Because God is there with his rod and his staff. Danger is imminent. If you didn't know this, there is a real enemy who is out to kill, steal, steal, and destroy your life. So what's the hope? The Lord is our shepherd. He's got a rod and he's got a staff. One of them is for the enemy. One of them is for you. <laughs> the rod is a symbol of God's protection. When life throws things at you that you neither welcome, or you were neither responsible for, that threatens your life, God is there. His rod will comfort you, will protect you. But then there's also God's staff, which is the symbol of God's correction. When life threatens to give you the consequences you are actually due because of the decisions you made, you know, you know that decision. You know that thing that you did that you know you're not supposed to do. You know the thing that your mama was always saying, don't you be like those kind of people. Don't you go in there and do that. And you went and go ahead and did that anyways, right? You know the thing that you always told your friends, like you probably shouldn't do that. That's not a wise thing. And then one time in your weakest moment, you found yourself doing that thing. And you're like, oh no, I'm such a hypocrite. God is your comfort. He has a staff. He will pull you in. He will pull you in. He will correct you. But he will bring you into his arms. Don't you want to live a life where you neither fear what the world may throw at you or fear the consequences of the penalty, really the ultimate consequence for the penalty for the sin you and I commit? Now, I'm I'm not saying, by the way, like, you can just go on and sin, but because the Lord is my shepherd... I'll never face a consequence. If you go to a holiday right now and um, you go and steal, I, um, the Lord ain't going to protect you from uh, the fine you're going to get or or, or or jail time, okay? All right? But ultimately, ultimately, Romans tells us that the wages of sin, the, the payment for your sin is what? Is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Do you want to live a life where you neither fear what the world may throw at you, or, nor the ultimate consequences of the penalty for the sin you and I commit? Do you want to live a content life? Do you, I mean, like, really, do you want to live a life where, like, you wake up every day, you're like, okay. Whew. Or when you go to bed at night, and you can go, I'm tired, okay. And not go, I'm tired, oh no, tomorrow. I'm tired, oh no, I forgot. then the invitation is simply this. Let the Lord be your shepherd. Would you let Him be your shepherd? Would you allow Him to lead you through His Word? Would you allow Him to feed you? Take you to green pastures that He has ordained to give to your life? Would you allow Him to lead you to still waters, I don't have time to go into it, but it really it's a picture of what Jesus would define more clearly. Some of you know the story about the woman at the well, right? The woman at the well, he says, hey, give me a water to drink. She's like, why are you asking me? You know, it's uh, yeah, not right. And then he's like, well, if you ask me for water, I have water that you will drink and you will never thirst it anymore. And she's like, "How? Well, that, that's pretty cool. Is this like some new invention? And he begins to tell her, this drink is not like an everlasting fountain, but that it is Him, that He is the sustenance to life, that you will never thirst, you will never want for anything if you submit your life to Him. If you take a drink from what Jesus has to offer, which is a life of servitude and submission of learning what it means to increasingly submit to God as master and savior day after day after day after day and allowing him to renew your life and lead you into paths of righteousness choose to let choose to let the lord be the shepherd of your life and if you do this then and only then will you experience the final the fight the really the finale of what David writes in this psalm when he writes in Psalm 23, verse 6, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever.